Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll start reading in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and thank you for the great privilege of being here, Lord. Whether we feel it or not, it is a great privilege to be here this morning. It is a great privilege to hear your word Read. And so we pray this morning that Your Word would have free course in this place. Lord, I know it says there in Ephesians chapter 4 that the goal of this time is that we would attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, that our minds would be informed and renewed and that our hearts would be warm towards Christ. Lord, we know that that can't happen apart from Him. Lord, we can prepare, we can do so many things, but apart from Christ giving growth this morning, apart from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, this is Word only. This is Word only. Lord, we need You this morning. We need You to come and shake us. We need You to come and uh, help us to wipe away the sleepiness. We need You to help us tune in to the person of Christ. We need You to help us bend our minds to Your Word and to allow that Word to come and to mold us and to shape us. Lord, we want to give You our very best this morning. But we confess that it's just simply not enough. We need You. We need Your Spirit. And so we ask for that this morning. In Christ's name, Amen. Amen. Well, Lord willing, I want to spend a few Sundays looking at this concluding section of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, now, William Gurnall, uh, old Puritan, he wrote 1,189 pages on this section, and Martin Lloyd-Jones preached 52 messages on this section. I'll be preaching three. Uh, Obviously, I'm going to be leaving some details out, even some major details. For instance, I'm not going to be able to deal in detail with uh, verse 18 regarding prayer. It's a very important point in this whole battle. It's a very important theme. Uh, we just don't have time 
to talk about it. But what I hope to do is to give you a general feel for Paul's main burden in this section. What is Paul doing? What is Paul's agenda kind of as an overarching, sweeping view of this section? What is he trying to accomplish? Now let me just read this first section again, and and you listen for it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, and so on. What do you reckon Paul's wanting you to do? He's wanting you to stand. He's wanting you to stand firm. That's Paul's burden in this passage. And so, Lord willing, for the next three Sundays, we're going to look at this under three headings. Today, we're going to look at the call to stand. Next week, we're going to look at preparing to stand. And you may wonder, well, why are we going to talk about preparing to stand? Why not just go ahead and talk about standing? You know, why waste time on that sort of thing? And as I have worked uh, through this passage a couple of times in detail, I've come to the conclusion that we don't know more victory because we don't spend more time preparing to stand. Preparing to stand. And so, Lord willing, we'll talk about that last week, uh, next week. And uh, finally, in week three, we'll talk about standing firm. So let's talk about this call to stand. This call to stand. Uh, what does it even mean? What is Paul talking about here when he talks about us standing? Well, I don't think we can get any better picture from what Paul means by standing than a passage that's in the Old Testament. So if you'll turn with me to 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23. And what we're wanting is a picture of what it means to stand. To stand. Second Samuel twenty three. In the second part of this, uh, starting at verse eight and onward. Um, David's mighty men are being recounted. And in verse 11, we meet this one mighty man named Shema. And we'll start reading there. Now after him was Shema, the son of Agi, a Harite. And the Philistines were gathered into a troop where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot defended it and struck the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. So here's the picture. David and his army are going after these Philistines. God had given Israel this promised land. That land belonged to Israel, but these Philistines were refusing to yield. And as the opposition and the pressure 
from this enemy begin to weigh on them, the people and the men of Israel begin to flee away. They started falling away. They were, they were giving way under this opposition and soon they're in full flight. Well, Shema wasn't having it. He wasn't having it. He knew that there was an ancient promise that that land belonged to God. And so the glory, was, the glory of God was at stake in this battle. And so with a drawn sword, he takes his stand right in the middle of this field and refuses to yield an inch to the enemies of God. Now, in the spiritual realm, that's starting to get and to paint a little bit of a picture of what Paul is talking about here. In the spiritual realm, what we're talking about is men and women who take a stand on the promises and truth of God and refuse to be moved. Men and women, and boys and girls, who take a stand on the promises and the truth of God and refuse to be moved. And so, just today, by way of introduction, let's look at this great call to stand. So turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 6, if you didn't have your thumb there. So, again, just by way of introduction, let's look at this call to stand. Now, you're not going to feel the full impact or get the full impact of what this call that comes in Ephesians chapter 6 is if you don't know what's come before. You don't get the impact of the ground that you are defending, the ground that you are standing on, if you don't get Ephesians 1 through 5. Um, there's a lot of connections here. A lot of the themes in Ephesians 6, 10 through basically 20 are, are themes that Paul has already spoken about at length in Ephesians 1 through 5, one commentator pointed out that in verses 14 through 17, known as the armor of God, the themes that come up in that passage have already appeared 30 times in the previous letter. So, what Paul is doing here is Paul is kind of wrapping up everything that he said in one grand climactic call to action. One grand climactic call to action. And so it's important for us to get a feel of what's come before. Paul, in Ephesians, has spent chapter after chapter celebrating God's eternal purpose, which is to glorify Himself by summing everything up in Christ. All of creation is like a grand symphony that's being tuned to play one note. One note. And that is the glory of God through Jesus Christ. If you want to know what's going on in the world today, what God's big agenda is, there's all these sub-things going on, sure, God's doing a million things in a million different ways, but if you want to know what the big overarching thing that God is doing in all of history, He is glorifying Himself through His Son. Through His Son. And here is the most astounding thing to me, is that in the eternal counsel of God, it was decided that you, dear Christian, would play a main role in that purpose or in that plan. How? God has swept you up in this purpose or in this plan by saving you in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. 
Everything that you have this morning that's even worth talking about is because you are in Christ. You're in Christ. So in salvation, it's not as though you're kind of out here on this island and God gives you, you know, regeneration in the new birth and God gives you adoption and God gives you justification. No, in what happens in salvation, God takes you off your little island and brings you in Christ. And now in Christ you have adoption and reconciliation and all of these things. You are in Christ this morning. Uh, let me just read you a little bit about this, uh, a few verses from this theme from Ephesians. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You've been redeemed in Christ. Ephesians 1.7 In Him we have redemption through His blood. You've been forgiven in Christ. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. You've been brought near in Christ. Ephesians 2.13 But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been, a made, al you've been made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2, 4-5 But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. You've been resurrected in Christ. Ephesians 2, 6 And raised up with Him. You've been created in Christ. Ephesians 2, 10 For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You've been made light in Christ. Ephesians 5.8 For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You've been taught in Christ. Ephesians 4.21 If indeed you've heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is also in Jesus. You've been adopted in Christ. Ephesians 1.5 he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. You've been graced in Christ. Ephesians 1.6 To the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Uh, and there's another one. He didn't just grace you a little bit. He lavished you with grace. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. You've been given an inheritance in Christ. Ephesians 1, 10, 11. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance. You've been sealed in Christ. Ephesians 1, 13. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed... You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You have been seated in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1.13 And He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And finally, where are we headed? What is our, what is our purpose? Where are we going in eternity future? If you can even talk about eternity future. Ephesians 2.7 So that 
and the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. And so you have been swept up into this eternal plan for God to glorify Himself through Christ. You have been associated with that name. You bear the name of the Son of God before all heaven and earth. And so what Paul is doing is chapter after chapter after chapter is saying, look at this privilege. Look at this honor that you could sacrifice your life on the eternal purpose of God, which is to be associated with Christ and to glorify God through Him. There is no greater privilege on the face of the earth. Just look at this. Look at what God has done. Why is Paul doing this? Why is Paul mustering all of his strength, all of his rhetorical powers, all of the language that he has, and all of this theology to show you this grand purpose of what you've been swept up to, the name that you bear and what you've been associated with? Because he knows that the devil is going to come along and whisper in your ear, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. It's not worth the sacrifice. It's not worth the sacrifice. And through various schemes, various schemes, the devil is going to try and get you to move away from this purpose. To move away from this purpose. And he's going to try in a million, a million times in a million different ways. But the design is always the same. The design is always the same. He wants to move you away from this plan of showing all of heaven and earth how wonderful it is to be associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's trying to do. And while this battle is unending, there are specific periods of time that Paul calls evil days. Evil days when the opposition from the devil against this purpose in your life is going to be especially fierce. There are going to be days in the Christian life when the devil is going to hurl everything he's got at you. He is going to make you feel down. He is going to make you feel discouraged. He is going to make you feel like it's not worth it going on. It's not worth the sacrifice. You're going to be tempted to be ashamed of the Bible and the truths in the Bible. You're going to be tempted to be ashamed of associating with biblical Christianity. And there are going to be times when you feel like the foundation is starting to come out from under you. And at that moment, you're going to want to quit. You're just going to want to surrender and lay down on the whole thing. And like those Israelites in 2 Samuel 23, you're just going to want to flee. You're just going to, going to want to get away as far away from the battle as you possibly can. You just want to get away from the fight and away from the pressure. It just feels like it's too much. But to paraphrase an old preacher, there is only one place to meet such opposition. And that is right in the middle of the road. You've got to take your stand. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what everyone else is doing, you must get right in the middle of that field, just like Shema, and you take your stand on the promises and the truth of God. Why? Because He's worth it. He's worth it. And when you do that, you send a message to all of heaven and earth, the devil is a liar. 
Christ is worth it and I am living my life to reflect how wonderful it is to be associated with God. He's worth absolutely everything. Everything. Despite how you feel. Despite what everybody else is doing. You take your stand on the truth of God and the promises of God and you don't yield an inch. You don't yield an inch. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, you do it by putting on the full armor of God. The full armor of God. And to that, we will turn our attention, Lord willing, next week. So let's pray. Father, we pray that this morning You would help us to feel something of Your grand purpose to glorify Yourself in Christ and that we've been swept up in this grand purpose. We've been associated with that name. Lord, we pray we would bear it well. We pray we would bear it well. We pray we would stand on the truth and promises of God. Help us, Lord, in these days. In Christ's name, amen.